it's, it's neat. And again, I, I'm not... had some moments to reflect over the past couple of days, and it... Uh, I'm going to say sometimes with much learning comes pride, right? And we can get prideful in some of the things that we know, and becomes about knowledge, and then we get critical, and, and James deals with that, I think, if we remember going back. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and then we'll look at a couple different things. Um, but I, I mentioned that as we become students of the Word, even just reading through the lyrics of, of the songs that we sing, right? It's how, how do we understand it? We're still starting to identify, okay, the biblical truths and, and some things, sometimes they need to be clarified. And uh, I'm going to say that's a deeper, deeper understanding. So this week, I'm just going off the notes uh, from last week. And it's okay, I didn't have a chance to print them out again. And uh, we'll be there next week as well, in the same notes. Um, but the question this morning, and we're going to read down the text, and I'm just going to just kind of look at the last part of verse 3 about speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then we're just going to go back into the Gospel of Matthew and just look at what Jesus taught about that. Like what was the, what was the momentum as Jesus was rejected? I mean, even when he still walked on this earth. What was the momentum of Jesus' message? Because, I mean, that directly influences how we approach the book of Acts. But the question uh, I'll put before you this morning is this. What happens to a church culture? What happens to Christian homes? What happens to Christianity when we make our Bible teaching, our Bible reading, our gospel about me and what I think? What happens? Right? And, and, and that's just what I'm going to present. If we, what happens if, if all of a sudden when I read, it's all about me? And what happens even at me as a pastor, a Bible teacher? What happens if I make the Scriptures all about you? What happens? And just easily, I mean, very quickly, we end up with a shallow, unbiblical picture. And some of that comes back to sometimes we have to unlearn to learn and relearn things. So Acts chapter 1 says this, the former account I made, who's the writer? Luke, okay, right? He finishes up his gospel of Luke. He's writing from Rome, house arrest, and I picture Paul is writing his letters to the churches on one side of the coffee table, okay? Because house arrest, it does, I mean, don't picture bars and what bars, as in prison bars, um, I, I picture the coffee table. Paul's writing on his side. He's probably got an amanuensis, which is somebody writing for him because he's been beat up and his eyes aren't working properly. He's getting a little bit older, right? And then on the other side, Luke is writing his gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Did Luke actually meet Christ, Jesus, King Jesus? No. So everything that Luke's gathering is from interviews. I mean, Jesus' mother. Okay, Mary, what was that like in that Christmas morn? Hanukkah, whatever. Um, you know, what was, what was it like, Peter? You know, what was it like, you know, as he's interviewing these, these, these people to put together this account? I find that fascinating. The Spirit leading him in that. This is very, very intricate. 
Otheophilus, you know, Roman name, maybe he was the money backer, but I'm going to say there, this was, this was Luke giving him, this is what you believe. These are the gospel foundations for you. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And what was the doing always for as we follow Jesus' ministry through the gospels? It was to authenticate what he was teaching. Right? Jesus just didn't, no, I can't say that. Jesus did as the Father led him out of love. We can say that. But Jesus always had a motive, and I mean most of the time, whether it's, it, it's, it's gaining an audience for a parable, whether it was, was making a point to the Pharisees, it was always to authenticate what he was teaching, who he is. And that's John chapter 5, verse 36, right? These very works that I do testify that the Father has sent me. So this doing was to authenticate, and if we were to go back a couple weeks, and we won't go there, but I mean, when we do as a church, it's always to authenticate what we teach. It's to show them, okay, this is the Christ of the Scriptures. This is what He's leading us. If we just get so focused up on doing and not teaching, what do we end up with? Say a nice religion, an empty religion based on works. And a lot of churches fall into that trap where it's doing, 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 you know, soup kitchen and harvest house and all that. And I'm not making any judgments, but what are we teaching? Where is the gospel in that? If you go on a missions trip and there's no Bible teacher going with you, you're just doing humanitarian work. The doing authenticates the teaching. Verse 2 says, until the day in which he was taken up, this is our rapture model, right? If you want to show your children and grandchildren, Jesus was caught up. Same way when that trumpet sounds, everyone who's placed their faith in Christ will be caught up. He was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs or unmistakable proofs. I mean, he, he appeared. He said, here, touch, touch my hands, right? Touch my side. I mean, there's no mistaking the king is alive. Doesn't stop there, though, does it? It says, being seen by them for 40 days, right? That's how long it was before he ascended, 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Just for our visitors, if we don't have a proper understanding of Jesus going through God's plan for man's place in His presence, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, the mystery of the church, if we don't have a proper understanding of Christ on His earthly throne, for that thousand years bringing things into harmony, we cannot properly read our Bibles. Why is that so important? Because of amillennialism. Where they say there that there is no earthly kingdom, Christ returns, there's that judgment, there's one re general resurrection, and then we spend forever and ever floating on the clouds. All right, that's not what Scripture teaches. So coming, I mean, Jesus is teaching here things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now for me, I need to go back a couple days 
It's okay. I do that all the time in class. All right? Catch your attention. We need to go back a couple days. Right? He was, he was crucified 40 days before. What was he teaching? What was Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God 47 days before? How can we do that? Let's go back to the Gospels. Right? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. Okay? And this is, this is simply, I'm working with one new believer right now, and bless their heart, all they're doing is reading their scriptures. That's all they're doing. And they're writing down questions, chapter after chapter. And no joke, this new believer is getting more than some of my senior students because they're reading it chapter by chapter. right? And they're asking serious, in-depth questions. And, and they're discovering their own answers. So, I mean, here, I mean, I mean what was Jesus teaching about the pertain things pertaining to the kingdom of God? Let's go back 47 days. If you want a timeline, I can send you a link, right? Let's go back to Matthew chapter, and then we don't have time to read too much, but if you'll notice here, Matthew 23, right? We have Jesus making his way to Jerusalem, let's say eight, eight days before Calvary, seven days before Calvary, and he, he pronounces judgment on this generation that has rejected Christ. Matthew chapter 12, we have the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We've worked through that, and he says that the judgment is upon this generation. Well, he pronounces these woes in Matthew 23. Israel is not in a good place. Come to Matthew 23, 36, and we'll begin our reading here. Matthew 23, verse 36, says this, Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Please, if you have a pen, just, just star that. Right? Jesus had told them that A.D. 70 was coming. And the book of Acts will open because this generation is who the apostles are preaching to. And they would face the A.D. 70. Notice in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I mean, this generation held the scriptures. This generation had Jesus the Christ, the anointed chosen one, King Jesus before them. They watched the miracles, and yet they were still not willing to do what? Believe and follow in obedience. Can we relate with that today? Right, and if I was putting a point to this there, if it was, it was sermon, sermon title or what have you, I'd say, people's hearts grow hard, right? Even with everything before them. We've had people sit years in these pews, and people's hearts grow hard. They have to be willing. See, verse 38, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, mark these words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't it interesting as you, you consider here the triumphal entry had already happened back in Matthew 21. 
right? What were they chanted? Hosanna, save us now from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were ready for the king. I mean, yes, yes, yes. But then there was a hardening of heart. This blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord comes directly. They're saying the same, same words. But what is the nature of his coming after the cross? Nature of the coming is wrath. Nature of the coming is wrath. Chapter 24, verse 1 says, Then Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. I mean, they had a great building. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And we see that in AD 70, near prophetic context. But then Jesus is going to go on and teach and speak on things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Things have to take place before he is seated on his earthly throne for that thousand years. And what are those things? Read with me. Verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, <laughs> you ever, and even just thinking about re, what we read this morning from Zechariah, Jesus had those texts, didn't he? Right? Jesus knew those Old Testament texts. Can you imagine Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives going, and now trying not to make this too so, but I'm going to split this in two. This is going to be a valley one day. In John chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about judging the nations, he's like, this is where the judgment is going to take place. He knew that through his father, but he had Zechariah 14 there. Don't we? Right? We have that revelation. We have the Spirit explaining that to us this morning. We see the sobering aspect, those pictures behind us. I mean, this isn't just end times David Jeremiah stuff. This is the gospel foundations. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, and we know this morning what that means. There is a line. People will face judgment if they reject Christ, whether that's directly in my family, whether that's in our community. There is a line that's been drawn. He sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What are they asking? When will these judgments start? When will this purging and purifying take place? Now again, near AD 70, but, but Jesus is going to take them out beyond that to his tribulation time, that three and a half years, and the second coming wrath that's there that we keep placing before ourselves. Tell us, when will these things be? What things? It's coming wrath. It's coming judgment. They don't separate the hope from the judgment. It's balanced there. Right? You believe and you, you enter into that position by faith as a child of God, and, and those that don't will suffer the coming wrath. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right? They want to prepare. <laughs> they want to present this properly. Right? They want to add this into their teaching. I mean, there's all so many different things we can consider here. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. 
Do you think there's anybody today that would rather just not talk about this subject? We'll just leave this out of the gospel. We'll just leave this out of our gospel foundations and we'll just focus on love. We'll just focus on mercy. Good things, good, good aspects. We'll focus on a gospel that doesn't have wrath or separation or judgment attached to it. We'll just, we'll just present it this way so it's, it's easier for us to, to write songs about. Gospel foundations always have both. As Jesus was, was teaching and laying these things, I mean, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He doesn't want to bring wrath and judgment, but He has to because people continue to reject Him. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, which means, you know, a chosen one, right? The many will come and will deceive many. People are ready to follow anything and everything, aren't they? I say oftentimes you go to chapters and there's a whole row of books on how to worship and, and fairies and gnomes. It's ridiculous. You, know, you go to witchcraft, you name it. You know, I, mean, I mean, it is a real thing. People are willing to follow anything. And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not troubled. We live in a day and age where we are a troubled people. It's not just the people outside the church either. God's people are living in fear, right? The world is living in fear. They're just looking for the next big thing to, to, to take them wherever they need to go. To see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. God's people, the apostles, those who believe in him will go through trials, right? And suffering and all these different things as the world does what the world does. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of sorrows, right? They're the beginning I mean, we, we're watching people there with the, the rapture position and they're working through because, I mean, the, the world is in just chaos, right? Understandably, but these things are just the, the beginning of sorrows. Are these things pertaining to the kingdom of God? I would say very much so. You have to understand these. These are part of the gospel foundations. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It's never been a safe thing to be a believer in Christ. It's never been a safe thing to present Christ from the Word. And many will be offended. Tell me about it. And will betray one another and will hate one another. There's nothing worse than family betraying family, is there? Right? For the sake of Christ? You can believe whatever you want to believe, but you just, you just keep that. And they sever those connections. There's nothing that hurts worse than being rejected by family because of your faith in Christ. Then many false prophets, verse 11, will rise up and deceive many. I think to myself, is the church prepared for that? That's taking place in the beginning of sorrows, right? If this is things ramping up, is the church ready for the false? How do we guard against the false prophets? There's only one way. We study the scriptures. If it doesn't line up with this, no, sir. And, and if we are not seeking and we choose, oh, I don't read, I don't read my Bible, it doesn't interest me, guess what? 
Deception awaits you. There's no other answer for that. God's people have to ground themselves in the truths of the word to protect themselves. And we see that. I mean, whether it's a millennial generation or emerging, emergent generation, people who don't read their Bibles are pulled by every wind of doctrine. Right? It's, it's, it's a clear painted picture. That's where my generation is. They're gone. My Jesus is, is, is no, no, you have to line it up with this. And because lawlessness will abound, verse 12, and maybe should almost read this together, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Do we know what that means? Right? Love for Jesus just isn't enough anymore. Grows cold. Broken homes. Empty seats. Starving ministries. Empty Bible schools. This is getting serious in a hurry, isn't it? Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. What is the context of this verse? The tribulation, the judgment, the wrath. This isn't about position. Right? This is about those that are going through this. Right? This, 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 there's only one way to enter into a relationship with God through Christ, and it is by what? Faith. Here we have God's people during that tribulation going through a worst time imaginable. But guess what? Christ saves them. He delivers them. He promises that. He calls them to go through that suffering. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom. Thank you, Ralph. Right? This gospel of the, the kingdom, things pertaining to the kingdom of God, right? Acts chapter 1. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Do we have to include some of the seriousness to, to really begin to grasp how important it is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed chosen one who died, who is buried, who is raised, who is seated at the right hand of the Father? We just sang a song that he's ruling in our hearts. I'm okay with that. But he's ruling through us, is he not today? He's ruling through his church, his body. There's an authoritative. We don't have an option in that. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Can we see my burden for gospel foundations now? Why we keep going through the big picture? Just one aspect. I'm not saying it's not enough, but it's not enough. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then says the end will come. Verse 15, right? And my title says the great tribulation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's where we're headed next after New Year's with our Sunday night, standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. It wasn't just Daniel. Jesus is, is prophetically taking these Old Testament texts and he's, he's preaching God's plan for man's place and his presence. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
Let him who is on the housetop not go down or take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back for his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not had been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be, until those days were shortened, back to verse 13, right? Until the, until the, well, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be from what? Wrath. This judgment that's there. Thank you for context. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There's a study in itself, 144,000 preaching and teaching at that time. Those that are, are placing their faith in Christ and being martyred for it. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For the false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Isn't it terrifying that Satan can do signs and wonders too? Right, the false prophets, we have to be careful. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What is the nature of his coming? Wrath, judgments. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together, the great supper of the Lord. We're going to read down to verse 31. I want us to recognize here that there is a judgment where Israel will stand before the king. Israel will stand before the judge. Jesus tells them this in John chapter 5, and we'll study this as we, we continue into Acts. Verse 29, coming of the Son of Man. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will, will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Israel will be gathered for judgment. Things pertaining to the kingdom. If you come over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And this is more clarifying some things from prayer meeting as well. But who's teaching this? Jesus is. King Jesus is. These are things. This is the momentum. This is the, the last public address that Jesus teaches on, right? Before they nail him to a cross. Matthew 25, verse 31. And there's a lot of red letters in this Olivet Discourse. It says here, The Son of Man will judge the nations. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him and He will sit on the throne of His glory. If He's coming, where's He coming from? Right, right hand of the Father. Where's He coming to? 
How, how can we deny that there's an earthly kingdom? He's coming. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, and He will sit on His throne of His glory in Jerusalem, all the nations will be gathered before Him. Remember Zechariah 14, what we read there? About Him, His feet resting on the Mount of Olives and splitting that. What was the valley name? Jehoshaphat, where He will do what? Judge the nations. Jesus taught this, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This was what the apostles had before them 47 days earlier as Jesus leaves and he goes, it's your turn. <laughs> All the nations will be gathered before him. Who's the him? King Jesus, the judge. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Just in context, we're, we're Bereans, right? Who's he separating? It says that he will separate one from another. Who's the one? If he's gathering the nations, who is this? It's the nations. These are the Gentiles. It's time to judge the Gentile nations. Okay, this isn't Israel. He will separate them, the nations, from one another, from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the... Where's my crown? <laughs> you see, see why we have to get this in our minds, the Messiah King, resurrected, glorified, exalted. Then the King will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my Father. Who's he judging here? The nations. Right? These are Gentiles. Blessed of my Father. Ooh, here's a word I like, and I have to wind down here instead of winding up. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit. Ooh, does that name, that, that word there rings a bell, doesn't it, study group, right? Inherits the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Does this mean that they were chosen from the before the, was it, <laughs> it was God's predestinated plan for this to take place, right? From the Old Testament, the manger, Christ on the cross, the, the mystery of the church, the kingdom of God, that was always part of God's predestinated plan. Never a place, never a person. It was always God's predestinated place prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Through the tribulation, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The time of the tribulation will be a horrible time to be a Jew. A horrible time to be a person from Israel. A horrible time to be a believer in Yeshua, the Messiah King. Right? You believe, guess what? You're, you're, you're martyred. I mean, it's, it's, you might as well accept that. And yet there will be Gentiles during that tribulation period that reach out and help those who are believing in Christ. They will join in that faith in Messiah. Verse 37, we're almost done. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Who's the we in this verse? The nations. And these are the Gentiles. When did we, during this time of tribulation, this time of wrath, when did we see you with this need? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked or clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, right? Jesus is speaking, you know, children of God, brothers and sisters, those who have placed their faith in him during that tribulation time, at least of my brethren, you did it to me. Isn't that a, a beautiful picture? I mean, that gospel isn't just for us. It carries through that trib tribulation time Verse 41, we can do this. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, right, you've got sheep and goats, nations, the Gentiles. They either helped the believers, helped Israel, or they rejected, they pulled away. We know why we emphasize Israel, because it's, it's biblical, it's God's program, it's, it's, it's part of his plan from the foundation of the world. You also say to those on the left hand that rejected the Jews, rejected the believers, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into what to say, eternal life. John 17, 3, knowing the one true God and him whom he has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel. Jesus was teaching on things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This isn't theology. This is reading our Bibles. I started out asking the question, what happens to a church culture, Christian homes, Christianity, when we make our Bible teaching, our Bible reading, we even make our gospel about me and what I think. What happens? What happens if we, oh, that's too hard for us to understand. We're just going to leave that out and move on to what happens. I think we're seeing the results of that. So what do I do with this? We just read a lot and we've been doing that. And so what do I do with this? My question this morning would be, another one. Am I reading my Bible? Number one. If this is too much reading for you, it's probably a good indicator you're not reading your Bible. If this is too much to understand. It's probably, am I reading my Bible? Secondly, am I reading my Bible properly? Right? Is that, is that, is that seeking, that, that eagerness to understand these things in context? Am I reading my Bible properly? Because I, I do feel, and I'm not putting God in the box, and the Spirit works through the Word in His way, but if we're not presenting things properly, if we're not presenting the Gospel as it needs to be presented, is it having its full effect? 
Or are we creating something else? Lastly, we would all agree this morning that these words that Jesus is teaching are, are paramount of most importance, wouldn't we? I mean, what Jesus presented, I mean, they, like our, our lives, I mean, we believe this is full authority. These words change my life. Like, I mean, I have to understand this properly. How are you passing this on? If Jesus saw fit to place this at the apostles' feet seven days before he's crucified and explains it to them again as the church is beginning, how am I passing these truths on to my family, in my conversations, in our church ministries? How am I passing these truths on? And what happens if we don't? There's a serious, serious note to that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand these things. Lord, this isn't theology. I'm not even sure when that word um, came into being. Lord, this was you teaching your Father's plan. And you taught it to these apostles who were men in their late teens. They walked two years with you. Or they, they did not, I mean, two years may seem like a long time, but Lord, there are people in my life that have been saved twice as long as I've been alive. Two years, and you place this before them to take out into the world. This is the gospel that you commanded to be preached to the nations, and yet we have generations that perhaps have never read these things. We have people in our lives, 18, 19, 20-year-olds coming out of churches, and they don't see why we even need to know these truths. And Lord, I, be I believe that that's the, one of the reasons why we're seeing the church in the state that it's in. Help us to be Bereans. Help us to be bold. Help us to be students. Help us to be passionate. Help us to be surrendered to what you are leading us in. And Lord, I pray that you would change this church into a powerhouse for missions, Lord, as we reach out in this community. Lord, and perhaps we need to start in our own families first with our Bibles open. And even just asking the questions, hey, do you know about this part of the gospel? Do you know this part about what Jesus taught? And I pray that these things would be clear to us, and if they're not, we would seek them out. We would see our Bible studies and our, our Sunday evenings and our, our Saturday mornings just overflowing with, with the importance of knowing so that we can show share these truths. We pray for this afternoon. I pray that we would have time to just quiet on the things that we've read and allow your spirit to speak. And I pray that you just bring us back this evening in your name. Star.